Well, good morning. It's good to gather together today. I was reminded today of the words from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, when Isaiah says, the earth is full of the Lord's glory. And it reminded me, it dawned on me, that wherever we find ourselves today, wherever you are this very moment, the earth is filled with the Lord's glory. This place is filled with the very presence of God. As is your home, as is your place of wherever you find yourself today. Well, we continue on our series of messages on the different way. And today, we're going to take a very different way with Jesus. I think there's another title that you could give to the Gospel of Mark. We know it, obviously, as the Gospel of Mark. But I think we can give it this title. I think we can call it Jesus on the Move. Jesus on the Move. It's what distinguishes Mark from the other Gospels, quite frankly. It reads, when you read the Gospel of Mark, it reads like an action-packed drama. And one scene after the next, one scene after another, just is unfolded in rapidity, just keeps coming at us, this life of Jesus. And sometimes the shift in scenery creates what I'm just going to call this morning a little spiritual whiplash. And that's exactly what happens in the passage today. Uh, Today, this passage begins with these words. They went to Capernaum. Now we go from the beautiful shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. It was probably the very edges of Capernaum. It, it, It was probably on the edge of the city of Capernaum. And we find ourselves going somewhere else. I think we're going downtown, downtown Capernaum. And you know what downtown is like? Downtown is the place of action. And and quite quite the different action do we find in our passage today in Capernaum. But we find that action in the place where we would least expect to find it. This is the word of the Lord for, for us today. Mark's gospel, the gospel of Jesus on the move, chapter 1, beginning with verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching? And with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him then spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. May God bless his word to our hearts. We began this series by talking about being on the road with Jesus and that we were going to just take this trip with him and he was going to go to these different places. One of the challenges when you travel, as you well know, as you're going down the road, is it's easy to get distracted and it's easy to take detours that end up taking you to the wrong place. 
You see, we come to this passage of Scripture, it's very easy to get distracted. It's easy to take a detour around miracles and demons and all that's going on in this passage. But, my friends, that's not what this passage is about. Let's see what we can discover today. 42 years. It's now been 42 years. I, I hate to admit that today. It's been 42 years since I first encountered this passage of Scripture. I was just beginning to become aware of my need to go a different way with my life. Uh, maybe like the people in the synagogue that day or those disciples. Yet it would be still another two and a half plus years before I would actually begin my journey of following Jesus Christ. But Jesus kept popping up on my radar. Neighbors, circumstances, events were places where it seemed like Jesus was getting my attention. Different people he was bringing into my life. This passage, believe it or not, from Mark chapter 1, was one of, if not the very first gospel passage that I actually engaged in with any measure of seriousness, I guess you could say. And this is how that happened. I was in boot camp in the United States Navy. I was beginning my time, uh, my five years in the Navy. But I was so completely lost and uncertain, and frankly, frankly, my life was a mess. A mess in its own way. You could just ask the people around me in 1979, around that time. In fact, around this time of year, 1979, January, February, while at boot camp, I went to chapel, of all people. I'm not sure why I went to chapel, but I knew it was better going to the chapel than staying in the barracks and maybe being assigned some task to do something. But somehow, a group of us got connected to the chaplain. I believe she was a Methodist chaplain, I think so. I do not remember her name. I think she was a lower-grade officer. Maybe she was a new chaplain. But she took interest in this little group of ours, and she announced after we went for a couple of weeks just to meet with her. I'd never actually been in chapel services yet, just had gone to the chapel. She announced she wanted to have a skit and have us put on a skit for a Sunday chapel service. And the passage she wanted us to act out? Exactly, the passage we have this morning from Mark chapter 1. Well, as she was giving out the parts, she listed them off and she assigned each part that she wanted each one of us to have. And I want you for a moment to just guess what part I was given. It was definitely not Jesus. It wasn't one of the disciples or, or not even some of those people that were in the synagogue. She decided to assign me the role of the demon-possessed man. So this is how it went. At the appointed time during that skit, the Navy Jesus shows up. He comes into the sanctuary. All the other people are there. And quite frankly, my part was actually quite simple. I remember it pretty distinctively. On cue, I ran into that sanctuary, that, that, that sanctuary of that Orlando, Florida Navy Chapel, and I began screaming at the top of my lungs. Can you imagine that? Running through the sanctuary, screaming at the top of my lungs. And I'm sure I yelled this, what do you want with me, Jesus of Nazareth? And then I, and I proceeded to just run around the chapel screaming like the madman I was portraying. I want to assure you that at some point, I'm sure, in that little drama, I was delivered of that screaming. But I wonder, 
did that chaplain, did that Navy chaplain see something that was so obvious to her but was not obvious to me? I remember how kind she was to us. But did she see that inside me was a young man who at the time would be the last young man you would want in church? A young man who definitely didn't measure up to the religious standards. A young man who actually wanted nothing to do with church and God and Jesus. A young man whose life was a mess. Whose life was actually crying out, what do you want with me, Jesus? You see, I I cannot read this passage of scripture without remembering 42 years ago. And when I look at this passage, do you know what I see? I see a mess. It's uncomfortable. It's disconcerting. We would much rather go back to that beautiful shoreline with Jesus as he's calling those disciples and looking out at the boats as they're getting ready to go fishing. We'd much rather do that. But the very first place that Jesus takes these disciples after that calling, he takes them to the mess of humanity. And yes, this is the synagogue. This is the place of worship. This is where everyone has it together. This is, let's just call it, this is the church. This is the place reserved for holiness. It's the synagogue. But what we see is that the holy meets the sinful. And the holy God transforms the sinful mess of a man. Now imagine. Imagine that that morning you are sitting in the synagogue. What did the others attending worship that day think? What do you imagine? I mean, this one who was the most unfit to be part of their group invaded their sanctuary. This is disruptive. This is disconcerting. This is messy. Jesus encounters a demon-possessed man in their sanctuary, and I imagine that some were appalled. I mean, he did not fit into their nice box. I I imagine some thought that he's going to wreck the way we do church. I, I imagine some were afraid that this was too overwhelming, that maybe it made them feel uncomfortable because of what they even knew about themselves. And I imagine there were some who probably wondered how they could just get rid of him. Just let's just dismiss that type from our setting. But we discover a different way of seeing the mess. You see, too often what we want to do is we want to disconnect Jesus from the mess of life and the world. We, especially in our lives, we want to kind of keep this, this facade up that the world can maybe think all these great things about us and that alone. I think that's one of the biggest challenges of social media. It allows us to present a facade that's not really real. We can hide the mess well. But Jesus, you see, Jesus walks right into the mess. We want a neat and clean faith. He wants to meet us in the mess. When that happens, it's amazing because the kingdom of God is meant for the mess. 
Well, that brings me to the only description of Jesus in this passage. Here's the description of him. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Now, in our way of understanding authority, we think of control. We think of leveraging the halls of power to get what we want or to get things done, to even affect good change. And the word for authority here suggests the idea of, of having the power to choose, of having the liberty of doing what we think we should do, to exercise power, to choose power. That's really what it means. But what is the source of that kind of choice of exercising our power? Well, in their book, The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb, I would highly recommend this book, from Jamin Goggin and Kyle Strobel, they offer us an outstanding treatment on the issue of authority and power and the different way of Jesus with it. They make a distinction between the power from above and the power from below. The power from above embraces God's power and depends on him. The power from below is driven by our reliance on ourselves, on our own autonomy, on our own resources. We turn to the power of self to try to make a difference in the world even. And then they remind us of this, this is very important, that we can easily be fooled, we can fool ourselves into thinking that we are walking the way from above when in fact we are walking the way from below. We need to think on that. But then they make this statement which helps me, it helps me understand what this means, it helps me what Jesus is doing in this passage, and I paraphrase here. What is authority for? They write. The way from above is the power for love. As we walk the way from above, our lives are characterized by James 3.17. Pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. That's a good litmus test for any way we follow, isn't it, when it comes especially to the way of power? Is it pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere? Is that what marks our lives? Now, my friends, I have not left that synagogue this morning. I have not left that passage of Scripture. Because I wonder this. Why did the people gathered there that day see Jesus differently than the most religious people among them? Why did they see him differently? He hasn't even healed the man yet. Why were the people astonished at the difference? Why did they see this Jesus as one with authority, it says? Well, let's remember that from the very start of Mark's gospel, we see what it is all about. He says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. The very first verse in Mark's gospel. The beginning of the good news. And then remember what he said to the disciples when he called them? He said, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The good news. And the good news has some characteristics to it. The good news has a a person to it. The good news has a way about it. And Jesus 
tells us that way. We find that when Jesus is in the synagogue himself, when he goes into the temple and he reads the words from Isaiah at his own place of calling. And this is what he reads in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now just hold on to that passage of scripture. Hold on to those words. Because what we find in Mark 1 is that Jesus puts on display his ability to do just what he said he was called to do. You see, the scribes, the, the, the teachers of the law, as they're listed in this passage of Scripture, their primary task was the teaching of the traditions and the teaching of the law. And they had the letter of the law down. They knew the Scriptures. If you wanted someone to make, give your best argument for God, you would go to one of those guys. But there was something lacking they saw something in Jesus that was lacking in them. What was that? Well, the first thing we really do know when we read this passage, it's this. The brokenness and pain and sinfulness of this man was beyond the ability of the religious leaders and everyone present. The mess was too much for them. A power greater than what they had ever known was needed. All their intellectual prowess, all their religious knowledge and tradition, all their personal knowledge of this man, for when you read the passage, you see he was probably part of that community, probably known in that community, probably a member of that synagogue. All of that failed them. But how ironic is it that this troubled man tells everyone present that day the one thing they are lacking. He says, I know who you are, Jesus, the Holy One of God. You see, they needed what only Jesus could give, what only the Holy God could do. And isn't that a lesson for me, for us, in the mess? especially the personal messes that we have in our lives. Those we can't even imagine we could overcome. Or maybe someone in our life, we wonder, how are they going to change? Jesus walks into our mess as the only one who can bring wholeness and healing and freedom. And that's not only true about us personally, that's the truth of our world. You see, this passage of Scripture gives us a, a picture of Jesus bringing his kingdom, Jesus making right a broken place in the world, and the fact that Jesus wants to make right broken places in the world. Think of all the broken people. Think of the complexities, the challenges of life and the world. We're overwhelmed with what's happening in the world. It's, it seems so complex. It seems so oppressive. Jesus is showing everyone in us that he has the power to move into the complex, to move into the intense, to move into the painful mess of the world and make things right. We're going to revisit some of that next week when we look at the larger section of this passage. 
But you see, we know this. Those people didn't have what it takes. They, they needed something beyond themselves. They needed someone beyond themselves. You need someone beyond yourself. I need someone beyond myself. We need Jesus. He's the only one who can make a transforming, beautiful, glorious product of the mess. But then there's this too. I wonder, was it because the people saw something in Jesus that they did not see in those who had the religious T's crossed and the I's dotted? What was missing? I wonder, was it the authority of love that was missing? When holiness becomes absent of love, when righteousness becomes absent of love, when morality becomes absent of love, it cannot bring the kingdom of God. It cannot bring healing grace, especially to those who do not meet the standard. Echoes of Galatians 5, this life verse that's been etched on my heart come to my mind when Paul writes to the Galatians as he's even arguing about their, their legalism and their, their moralism, and he says, nothing matters, nothing counts except faith expressing itself through love. Oh, Lord Jesus, may that be true of me. Nothing counts except faith expressing itself in love. Jesus? Well, Jesus' authority was for one purpose, the power of love. He loved this man. He loved him. And he wanted him to be free. He wanted him to be different. He wanted him to not be broken anymore. Probably the best book I've ever read on the issues of power is the book Playing God by Andy Crouch. Highly recommend it. He writes, love transfigures power. Absolute love transfigures absolute power. And power transfigured by love is the power that made and saves the world. Isn't that the best description of the power of God in Jesus? Transfigured power transfigured by love. Could it be that what distinguished his authority from all other authority, could it be that as they looked at Jesus, as they watched what was unfolding, they saw something they didn't see in those teachers of the law? Could it be that his was the authority of compassion, the authority of love? Wow. And you see, that was different. And what that does is it enters the mess of real life. Go back to Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19 again. Just remember what he said there. You know, he said he enters the mess of poverty. That's what he said. He, he said he enters the mess of incarceration to, to bring freedom to prisoners. He said that he enters the mess of the physical handicap and limitation to give sight to the blind and probably the spiritual blind as well. He enters the mess of injustice and oppression to set the oppressed free. He enters the mess of the world to bring grace. That's what he said. He enters my poverty 
And don't think for a moment that not every one of us has a place of poverty in us. We can be surrounded with the greatest riches of all and have a gaping hole of poverty inside of us. Our greatest poverty is our need of Jesus in our lives. He enters my poverty. He enters the places where I need to be set free. Where do you need to be set free today? That's where Jesus wants to be. He doesn't want to be in the facade. He doesn't want to be in the pretend. He wants to be where we really live, where we need to be set free. He enters the places where I have blinders. Maybe you don't have blinders, but I have blinders. And he wants to heal our blindness, my blindness. Where can he heal your blindness? He enters the places that I am oppressed, where I'm beaten down, where, where the weariness is just coming upon me, where I'm worn down and worn out, the oppressed. He wants to meet us there. That's where he wants to meet us. You see, he enters into weakness. In fact, he becomes weak so that he can meet us in our weakness. What a God. You see, because we know, according to Jesus himself, that he enters the mess of the world, we can be assured he enters our mess, and he does that with the power of love. And so, maybe, maybe, we realize we can learn that the goal is not to appear as if you have your act together. But rather, the goal is where we actually started our prayer time today, that we are to just come just as we are to him. And he meets us right there. You see, this is the different way of Jesus. Because he comes, he comes with the power of love. We can come freely to him without fear. We can come with the mess. And when he enters, when he enters, he answers the question of the demon-possessed man, the question that a confused, lost, broken 19-year-old yelled in the middle of the Navy chapel, what do you want of us, Jesus? I mean, when we see that scene, that scene is straight out of a horror movie. It tells us that he tells the demon to come out of him. The impure spirit comes out. The man shakes and the man shrieks. That's like horror movie stuff, right? But the people, again, are struck with astonishment. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. And I share that part for this reason. We never hear another word about this young man. We never hear another word. We only know, this is what we know, that he is no longer bound by the sin and the evil that bound him. I love that. Could you, could you just imagine how he is now in that synagogue and how suddenly... Suddenly the scriptures come alive in a new way. Suddenly he walks into creation and sees the glory of God. Suddenly he's walking in a new way. He has a different lens through which to look at life. He has a lens of grace to now look at life. Could you imagine this? It's amazing. We can rightly assume 
That what he was given was the gift of grace. Grace that restored him and healed him and turned him toward a different way of wholeness. And the truth is, as I mentioned earlier, this story isn't about demons and miracles, though this is the first miracle in the Gospel of Mark. It is about the authority of Jesus. It is about his choice for and the power of grace. That's what it's about. So let's ask Jesus. Ask Jesus this with me today. What do you want with me, Jesus? What do you want with me? And this is what I think he would say. I want to make you whole. I want to calm your fears. I want to deliver you from your sinful ways. I want to deliver you from the ways where you put yourself ahead of me. I want, I want to break that grip of addiction in your life. I want to relieve you from the regret. I want to deliver you from the shame that you hide from the rest of the world. I want to unbind you from this false sense of power and control. I want to enter your mess. And you see... He wants to do that whether in our lives or in the world around us. Jesus wants to set us free from the places in our lives that are not what they ought to be. Jesus wants to pour out the authority of his compassion on our lives and then through us, through our lives to the world. And something happens to us when we allow Jesus to enter our mess and something happens through us. You know, Walter Brueggemann captured this in this statement. He's actually talking about the church and why we meet and why we're a church and why we gather, whether we're gathered in a sanctuary or we're gathered online, why we're doing this. And he says this, the church meets to imagine what our lives can be like if the gospel were true. Wow. I love that. I just love that. Right? Don't you love that? Can you imagine today what your life can fully look like if the good news of Jesus is true, and it is? Could you imagine what the world around us could look like? And what if then we take this different way into the mess of this world, the different way of authority and power? What if we engage our world with the authority, the authority of love and compassion, with a willingness to choose to exercise compassion? I wonder if people would look and say, now that's different. I wonder if people look at me now and look at my life and they say, that's different. I hope so. And then maybe what was said about Jesus would be said about us today. News about him spread quickly over the whole region. Oh, that news about Jesus would spread quickly over our region, over our country, over our world. What could you imagine your life could be like if it was true that Jesus enters your mess with the power of compassion, with the choice to enter with love, with the authority of grace 
And he looks at you, and he looks at me, and he says, forgiven. Forgiven. Healed. Loved. You see, he does enter our lives like that. He does say that. My question is, can you see him doing that right now? Right now. I think there's something we know about our days. There's something we know. That our future does not fully have its picture in front of us. It's going to be different. The church is going to be different in the future. It's not going to be what it was a year ago. It's not. We'll end up talking more about that, but it's not going to be the same. It'll be different. It's different now. But I wonder if this is one way it must be what it was always intended to be, which may very well be different. And that's with our intentional embrace of the mess in ourselves and in our world. Joining Jesus in the mess of our lives and getting the focus off of what is comfortable or agreeable to ourselves and what we want, and joining Jesus in the mess of the world. So can you just imagine, could you, could you just for a moment, even if you wanted to close your eyes and imagine, the possibilities that are ours in the mess around us. Imagine what God can do right now when we turn to him as our power source I wonder, I wonder who might be healed in the process. Who might be healed? Me? You? Us? Our neighbors? Those we don't like? Those we don't agree with? The fractured world? Can you just imagine who would be healed? Just, just imagine seeing the mess like Jesus does. And then the good news about Jesus may just very well spread across the region. And we would all say, thanks be to God. May it begin with me and you, and us. Amen. I'm going to invite our instrumentalists to come and play. I can't emphasize enough for you to take time today and listen to the music that's been posted to our YouTube link on our Facebook page. I, I just would so encourage you, especially following this message, I want to invite you to do that. The, final song is that song, Reckless Love. God's love is very intentional. God's love is very gracious. We saw in the psalm, he's the covenant-making God who comes with intention. But in his world and in our world, when we see such sacrifice, such longing, like that prodigal father chased after that son, you see, that was viewed as reckless in his world. And that's the God we have coming to us now. As they begin to play, 
I'm going to invite you to join me for a moment and just quiet our hearts. Quiet your heart and invite God into the mess. Can you do that right now? You know, I have some places of mess I need to invite God into. Some of those are inside me, where he's trying to do new things. Some of those things are around people I love. Some of those things are in the world where I feel like trying to see Jesus in new ways. Where is it that you need to invite Jesus? Where is it? Where do you need to invite Jesus into the mess? Let's just quiet our hearts. I invite you to invite him in, and I want you to imagine, just like the Father ran towards the Son, I want you to imagine God running toward you, wrapping his arms around you and our world What do you want of us, Jesus? I want to make you whole. Let's ask him to do that right now. I invite you to just quiet your heart and invite him in to the mess of your life and the world. Now may we go into this world. May we go into our lives with the assurance that he goes with us. And may we now open our hearts and our lives to the mess meeting Jesus where his grace makes us whole. And may we then go into our world and reveal his good news through our lives. Oh, come, oh Jesus, as you are, for we come as we are this day. Oh, run to us, Jesus, for we run to you this day. Thanks be to God. <laughs>